Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney, and this is Reboot Review number two. Reboot Review is a podcast spinning out of my blog, imthegun.blogspot.com, on which I'm recapping story by story the adventures of DC Comics' The Legion of Superheroes. More specifically, the adventures of the Reboot Legion from a time when the concept was reimagined beginning in 1994. I want to keep remembering to use this term reimagined as what happened in 1994 with the Legion, though rare then is so commonplace now with comic properties. Characters and concepts are rebooted with great frequency across multiple media, many of these proving wildly successful, many under the banner of reimagination. I think the reboot Legion could be brought in line with other popular reimaginings like Marvel's Ultimates line of comics, for instance. Stories in this run of the Legion, which lasted exactly one decade, are among my very favorite, in part, as I explained last episode, because this take on the Legion came closest to my perception of the core concept of the group. A diverse team of young people and beings with fantastic abilities setting an example of teamwork, unity, and cooperation for the United Planets in the 30th and 31st centuries. This era of the Legion began being chronicled in two monthly comics called Legion of Superheroes and Legionnaires, beginning in the number zero issues of each of those titles. These zero issues were covered last episode, so this time out I'll be taking a look at Legion of Superheroes number 62 and Legionnaires number 19, though I'm still baffled why editorial chose to continue the numbering used by the old iteration of the titles. Maybe just a sign of the times, but, you know, now new number ones are pretty commonplace. But before I get into the two issues, I just wanted to give a little bit of background on my personal history with the Legion. I very distinctly remember getting my first Legion comic back in 1984. I was taken to a Walden Books along with my sister, and we were both allowed to pick out a comic. We both decided to choose the thickest books on the spinner rack, which happened to be DC Comics Annuals. My sister came home with Justice League of America Annual Number 2, which introduced Justice League Detroit. And I got Legion of Superheroes Annual Number 3, a story called The Curse. And I've got to say, after reading the hell out of both of those comics, I was definitely the uh, bigger comics fan out of the two of us, I, I felt like I picked the wrong issue. You know, sure, it was cool being introduced to so many heroes that I'd never seen before, and I was intrigued by the last couple-page cameo by Darkseid, who I somehow saw him before either in an issue of Superpowers or on the Super Friends. But Legion, it, it didn't cook with me right away. I kind of found it odd how the characters called themselves boy, lad, and girl, despite the Kurt Swan art, which made them all look like they were at least 35 years old. Now, I've come to appreciate Kurt Swan for the great artist he was, um, and also the fact that it took place in the far future was kind of a turn-off, as it kind of isolated the team away from the more familiar and established characters of DC's then-present day. That JLA annual, on the other hand, had more than a few familiar faces, uh, mostly at the beginning of the issue in the first few pages. Um, but it invited the reader in on the ground floor of something brand new, uh, a new era of 
JLA adventures with the introduction of new characters like Gypsy, Vibe, Steel. Um, this I could get into, and I was totally jealous of my sister's choice. But, of course, times change, tastes change, and I eventually learned how silly I was to be jealous of Justice League Detroit. But honestly, I love both these comics now, and uh, I've had to replace both of them in my collection. I really have no idea what happened to my sister's copy of that JLA annual, uh, but over time I read that Legion of Superheroes annual just to pieces. I'd encountered the Legion in various appearances over the next few years, cameos in Crisis and Infinite Earths, uh, team-ups with Booster Gold... I learned a lot about the history and characters from the issues of Who's Who that I had, but it wasn't until I started buying the Loose Leaf edition of Who's Who in 1990 that I really stood up and took notice of, of the Legion. I'm pretty sure it was the Joe Nah entry drawn by Dan Jurgens that made my jaw drop. Reading through the entry and looking at this tough-looking, ponytailed guy dressed not in superhero spandex, but in tattered street clothes with a tattoo of his superhero emblem on, a, on his arm. I couldn't believe that this was the Ultra Boy that I'd met way back in that annual in 1984. A read through all the other Legion-related Who's Who pages confirmed what was a pretty shocking revelation. The Legion was allowed to change, it was allowed to grow up. The idea that the concept of the Legion was being pushed at the time by writer-slash-artist Keith Giffen and writers Tom and Mary Beerbaum, uh, they were pushing it into slightly darker, more mature territory with pretty complex plots and some storytelling methods that were challenging, and th this was all quite an eye-opener. To see how far certain characters had come from the bright-eyed youths I'd read about when seeking out earlier stories of the Legion to the hardened freedom fighters of what's called the Five Years Later run, I really appreciated the evolution of the Legion. I began buying, kind of sporadically at first, the current issues, and, and I enjoyed them, even if I didn't fully understand what was going on. But it wasn't until I got my first job that I was able to make regular trips to the comic store, and by the time I was ready to commit to the Legion full-time as a regular reader, the, the entire franchise had been rebooted and reimagined, and the books on the stands at the time featured this new universe of the Legion that I'll, I'll be talking about in this podcast. At first I was a little disappointed that I could no longer follow the adventures of the mature adult Legion, but the reboot stories, in a way, built on what had come before. They were relating the adventures of, of an infant Legion, uh, incorporating bits and pieces of that five years later lore, and I wouldn't call the books mature, but they were told maturely, you know, simultaneously targeting new readers and trying also to appeal to older fans. And of course, I had hundreds of back issues to buy, so completing an entire run of Legion Adventures since the beginning became an obsession, and I'm proud to say that I was able to finish this up a few years ago. So the reboot run pushed the concept of the Legion in its own way, adding its own interesting elements to the legend of the Legion during its ten years on the shelves. And when, when the concept was reimagined once again by Wade and Kitson, while I was on board with that, and I'm not sure that it, not 100% sure that uh, 
it needed to complete reboot to tell the kind of stories they wanted to tell, but Wade and Kitson continued to push the concept while telling some pretty interesting stories. I did eventually have to check out, though, uh, when the reboot got uh, well, got chit-canned in favor of a rollback to a legion that resembled the original team. It became clear that DC at this time didn't seem interested in developing and pushing their concepts further anymore. A similar de-evolution was happening in things like Green Lantern and The Flash. I hung on through a miniseries called The Legion of Three Worlds, pretty much long enough to see my legions, the Five Years Later Legion, the Reboot Legion, even the Threeboot Legion. They really just put in guest-starring appearances, and after that I, I had to call it quits. But I don't love the great Legion stories any less, and this podcast is being recorded to celebrate some of them, so... Let's get to it. Legion of Superheroes number 62 from November 1994 is by the team of Mark Wade and Tom McCraw, writers, Lee Motor and Ron Boyd, artists. Tom McCraw did the colors, Bob Panaha was the letterer, and Mike McAvenny and Casey Carlson edited it, and Stuart Immonen drew the cover. So this is the beginning of Penciler Lee Motor's three-year association with the Legion. He'd come over to the book after a short run on Wonder Woman, where, as a young artist, his style was still developing, but by the time he left the Legion, he'd really put his stamp on the team and really helped define the early reboot years. The transition from Imminent to Motor wasn't jarring. Their styles at this point were pretty compatible, and of course the presence of Ron Boyd, the inker, um, he'd been inking the book for a couple of years and would continue to do so for a couple more. Helped, definitely helped ease that transition. The story begins with the now six-member Legion training in a kind of danger room environment before a presidential summons would pull them to the United Planets headquarters. The teen celebrities are swarmed by an adoring public on their walk over. And during this walkover, Triad reveals that between issues, Cosmic Boy had been voted team leader. There's, a, there's an interesting character moment where one of her bodies, Triad, can split to three independent forms. One of those forms is horrified that another has passed an onlooker her number. I hesitate to say phone numbers, I'm not really sure how the kids are communicating these days. This is a new and interesting spin on the character, the independence of each of Triad's selves that we'll see develop over time in the reboot. Anyway, the Legionnaires approach UP headquarters and are greeted by a group of individuals in the generic Legion-type uniforms that Cosmic Boy, Livewire, and Saturn Girl wore in their first promotional video. This group is made up of people that we met at the very end of Legionnaires number zero getting their draft notices from the UP. We've got Gim Allen, codenamed Leviathan, he introduces himself to James Cullen, also known as Kid Quantum, who he thinks quite a bit about his stasis belt, which is put to immediate use, freezing a third recruit, the speedster Jenny Ognatz, or XS. Freezes her right in her tracks. The three raw recruits are startled by the appearance of a Durlin, a, a race of beings distrusted throughout the galaxy due to their native shape-shifting ability. Leviathan, who grows to great size, claims that Durlins aren't even allowed to roam free on Earth as he moves in to grab the Durlin. 
The established legionnaires intervene before too much violence occurs, though there is a squabbling exchange between Leviathan and Live Wire. Saturn Girl scans the mind of the cloaked Durlin, who can only speak in his own language, not the more common interlac spoken by the rest of the team, and finds that he means no harm. A pair of disembodied hands removes the Durlin's cloak to reveal another generic legion suit. Those hands belong to Lyle Norg, codename Invisible Kid, who, with his limited Durlin, has been communicating with the shapeshifter, who goes by the name Chameleon as Durla's new legion representative. These new recruits' membership is a complete surprise to Cosmic Boy and the rest of the team, but that isn't the last shock. Leviathan calls the group inside. He's got the details of their first mission because he has been appointed team leader. In the meeting room, Leviathan explains that several cargo ships have gone missing in Star Sector 247A. Now, that number is that's an Easter egg for long-time Legion folks. The Legion first appeared in a Superboy story in Adventure Comics number 247 from April of 1958, and you'll occasionally see that number 247 come up in, in various Legion stories as a tribute. There's some whispering in the crowd between the three founders who can't get their head around the president's sneaky move foisting these new members on the team so quickly. The level-headed cosmic boy thinks they should just roll with it and surprise the Saturn girl by deferring to Leviathan's science police background. Leviathan introduces the team to the Transuit, a vital piece of Legion equipment that will protect each member from the rigors of space. But he's kind of coming off like a total square, and it doesn't really help his case when he states that uh, this small mission will lead to big glory, only to be reminded by Cosmic Boy that the missing ship crews should really take top priority. Uh, aboard a cruiser headed toward the problem sector, the team comes upon an apparently abandoned freighter, which they board searching for clues. Saturn Girl picks up a few human thoughts and and something else. So, against Cosmic Boy's better judgment, Leviathan orders the Legionnaires to split up. Saturn Girl gets caught up in some strange webbing, and the something she picked up is scared away by Livewire's lightning. Cosmic Boy, Leviathan, and Kid Quantum happen upon the scene, and Kid Q runs after the hidden threat with the approval of Leviathan, but over the protest of Kaz. In a different part of the ship, Invisible Kid and Chameleon happen upon the webbed-up bodies of the freighter's crew, though too late to save their lives. Suddenly, from the shadows leaps a giant spider creature. It's a pretty scary scene. The creature communicates in simple interlac, but attacks the Legionnaires. With Invisible Kid and Chameleon on the defensive, Livewire and Kid Q show up and run the offense. After getting a lightning bolt in the back, the spider creature flings some debris that is stopped cold by Kid Quantum's stasis belt. A little too pleased with himself, Kid Q is knocked out of the way of some deadly webbing by... Apparition. Now surrounded by legionnaires, the spider creature releases a swarm of insect-like drones that attack the team. This causes Excess to panic, and her instinct is to get the hell out of there, while Leviathan, whose instinct was to use his growing power, proves a huge target for the drones, and he's completely incapacitated. Cosmic Boy realizes that his magnetism works on the pests, and he gets a good system going with Livewire. Kaz sets him up, and Livewire takes him out. Kid Quantum, despite a quickly depleting stasis belt and 
this time against Leviathan's orders, rushes off after the creature which calls itself Tangleweb. Kidku manages to place Tangleweb in a stasis field, but an angry Leviathan catches up with Kid Quantum just as the stasis belt sputters and starts to give out. A claw from the shadows reaches out to Kid Q, and it lifts him up, snapping his neck. Oof, it's, it's a brutal scene. You wouldn't have seen anything like this back then at Riverdale High. To cover its escape, Tangleweb throws the grossly contorted body of Kid Q at Leviathan, Kaz, and Livewire. Below, the remaining Legionnaires, including a newly composed Excess, find a few freighter crew survivors while Leviathan wants to immediately pursue Tangleweb. Gim is stopped short by Cosmic Boy and agrees not to go it alone. The two hurry to the ship's hull just in time to see Tangleweb's own ship jump through a stargate. Vengeance for Kid Quantum will have to wait. Gim comes down hard on himself and immediately transfers Legion leadership to Cosmic Boy and then resigns from the team. Cos won't have any of that, of course, and He'll take the leadership role, but refuses Gim's resignation. Kaz delivers a nice speech about learning from mistakes, and puts forth the idea that it's only together, as a team, that the Legion will succeed. That sticking it out together will assure that Kid Quantum's death was not in vain. It's an interesting issue, and important, as it features the very first Legion casualty on their very first mission. Scenes on the freighter were genuinely scary, staged very much like a horror film with the dark shadows, the group splitting up. I think Wade and McCraw, along with Motor, did a great job building up suspense, and when Tangleweb finally shows up, it's you know, a truly frightening creature. There's, there's a big payoff. Legionnaires are real green and haven't yet had the opportunity to work together, so it's kind of nice in a way to see the team members not quite seeing eye to eye, and the range of personality is already in this short run, giving the previous Realities Legion a run for its money. We haven't seen anyone before with the sheer overconfidence of Kid Quantum or, at the other end of the spectrum, the unpreparedness and outright cowardice of, at this point, of excess. Of course, one of the things I love most about reading the Legion is having the opportunity to watch these characters grow, and, and that continues in the next chapter, which is Legionnaires number 19. So this issue, Legionnaires number 19, serves as a, something of a excess spotlight, so she gets the cover all to herself, and that covers by Jeff Moy and Wade Von Grabadger. The issue is plotted by Mark Wade and Tom McCraw, and scripted by Tom Pyre, who he'd been writing a title called Legion, L-E-G-I-O-N, which was a, an interplanetary space cop book taking place in the present-day DC universe, elements of which would find their way into the Legion titles even before the reboot. L-E-G-I-O-N, in a way, related the ancient history of what would become the United Planets, and several ancestors of future Legionnaires were featured in the book. Tom Pyre, at the time assuming scripting duties on the Legion books, was also writing the L-E-G-I-O-N follow-up book, Rebels, so... He was familiar with writing not only a team book, but a team book with a galactic scope. So back to this issue, it was penciled by Jeffrey Moy, inked by Ron Boyd, lettered by Pat Rousseau, colored by McCraw, and edited by McAvinney and Carlson. The issue opens on Kid Quantum's casket being draped with the Legion flag by 
two future undertakers at the Metropolis Necrological Institute. XS alone looks on as she flashes back to the Legion's first mission that ended with such disaster and doubts her presence on the team considering her performance or lack thereof. We then cut to an angry R.J. Brand in United Planet's President Chu's office. The wealthy tycoon had been blindsided by the President's Legion draft, and the two go back and forth, R.J. about who bankrolls the Legion, and the President counters with how the Legion has been good for attracting new UP member worlds, and she and the UP will make policy as they see fit. The Legionnaires, thanks to Triad's access codes that she had as Brand's former aide, they eavesdrop remotely on the conversation, though this causes some embarrassment among the Legionnaires as Brand kind of berates behind his back Leviathan's bungled leadership turn. There then seems to be some confusion over the exact number of members. The President insists that there are 11, which means one is missing. Meanwhile, Saturn Girl and Livewire, dropping in on the incarcerated would-be assassins from the previous issue of Legionnaires, covered last episode. They had made a second attempt on the life of R.J. Brand. Saturn Girl is meeting some resistance as she continues to scan their minds, trying to get to who's behind these hit attempts. The killer's mental blocks begin to wear Imra down until Livewire steps in, giving them a little shock therapy, which causes their defense to drop just lower, just low enough for Imra to get what she wants. In Legion HQ, XS is packing up her things, wanting to sneak out before Kid Quantum's funeral, but she's surprised by a visit from Cosmic Boy. He tells her that he noticed her panic during the mission, and that though he knows she'll make a great Legionnaire, she'll really have to learn to face her fear. Another cut to R.J. Brand, as he contacts the Legion's missing member, the super genius Quirrell Docks, or Brainiac 5, who really seems disinterested in his membership. He plans on putting Brand off just as the magnate sweetens the pot by mentioning access to the state-of-the-art lab that comes with the deal. This exchange seems to trouble Brand's associate Marla Latham, as it seems Brainiac 5 has already wrecked five Brand labs when he'd been in their employ for a short time. Next we see Roderick Doyle, who we've seen before as the person who, on some mysterious body's behalf, commissioned the brand assassination attempts. He's startled by news reports claiming that the Legion is en route to his office to take him into custody for his role in the brand attempts. Obviously Saturn Girl was able to break through the killer's mental defenses. Panicked, Doyle hurriedly begins to make preparations to get out of town with his assistant, Jando, who is strangely unresponsive. Doyle's spooked by the sudden appearance of a visible kid in his office, and when Doyle leans on Jando, the lackey reveals himself to be Chameleon, and the two legionnaires, the espionage going on here, take the creep into custody, though Doyle claims, This ain't over, freaks. At United Planets headquarters, the funeral service for Kid Quantum begins with a speech by Cosmic Boy to the gathered legionnaires and dignitaries. As XS meditates on Kaz's words, she becomes aware that his speech starts to slur. In fact, everything is slowed down. She first assumes that some high-speed instinct has kicked in, but then sees that Kid Quantum's stasis belt from the kid's coffin has been activated, and the coffin is actually beginning to explode. 
It's only her great speed that allowed her to move pretty much at normal speed while everything else is slowed to a standstill. Another instinct kicks in for her, one she probably thought she didn't have, and she begins to move each legionnaire one at a time away from the blast site. After pushing herself to her limit and rescuing most of the legionnaires, Excess just manages to get Cosmic Boy away as the bomb planted in the coffin detonates. Cosmic Boy manages to deflect a piece of debris away from Excess, and, and it's a good thing too, as you know, rediscovering her courage, she decides to stay with the team. A final cut takes us to the planet Angtu, a war-ravaged world where only one person survives amidst the dead masses. A helmeted being named Mano monologues about an Earthman named Macaulay, who had supplied one side in this war with a chemical weapon that ultimately sealed the planet's fate. A despondent Mano would hunt down this Macaulay if it wasn't for the fact that he's about to off himself with the destructive power of an ungloved hand. He thinks better of killing himself and decides to just blow up the whole planet, but... Mano finds on the last page that destroying his world was the easy part. Taking his own life with that of the planet proves a lot harder as he floats through his world's debris and cries a big no. And this will be continued in Legion of Superheroes number 63. I like this issue. Another solid art job by Moy and Boyd. <laughs> Sounds weird. But in preparing this recording, I noticed it jumped around a little bit. Uh, I realize there's a lot going on now with Kid Quantum's funeral, Excess's doubts, the assassination plot, and even Mano, who in Legion history past was a member of a Legion foe team, the Fatal Five. Now, each subplot was given equal weight, but there may have been just maybe one too many in this particular issue to, for any one of them to be 100% satisfying. I do like the continuation of the political tension between President Chu and R.J. Brand, with the Legion caught in the middle, becoming like a, a rope in a tug-of-war match between these two powerful figures. The excess spotlight was nice, and, uh, and it was important at this point in the young series, as she's really the first truly new Legionnaire with no antecedent in a previous continuity. And though we don't get a ton of details about her past here, her personality definitely begins to flesh out as she earns a bit of redemption with the rescue of her teammates. I'm having fun with these issues, and we'll be getting to more in the very near future if you have anything to add. Like, what do you think about XS? Let me know. She's a pretty important character given her as-yet unexplained connection to the Flash, and I really miss her presence in the DC Universe. Anyway, what are your thoughts? Let me know by leaving a comment on the blog, I'm the gun.blogspot.com. Check out links there to Twitter and Tumblr, or email me at I'm the gun at gmail.com. I'm thinking next up it's time for another Shanna Showcase. That's another thread of podcasts where I'm looking at the significant solo adventures of Marvel's Shanna the She Devil. So check those out if you're inclined, but I'll be back soon with another reboot review. So until then. LOL, live on Legion. <laughs>